0: Uh, the reading today is from Genesis chapter 50, that's five zero. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of the court, all the dignitaries of Egypt. Besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household, only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly, And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, The Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That's why the place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizraim. So Jacob's sons did as he commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When this, when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him he was placed in a coffin in Egypt
1: thanks uh, Jonathan and good morning everyone have you ever thought uh, you had everything planned but then something goes wrong and it all turns out differently from what you thought this may be a familiar experience in these COVID times our neighbours across the road flew out on Friday morning looking forward to a holiday in Tasmania. Fortunately, they did manage to meet the 6pm deadline when the lockdown hit Hobart and much of southern Tasmania. Now, you may be able to tell from my accent that I'm from the UK. I did a graduate diploma in statistics at Cambridge in 1974. That's nearly 50 years ago, I? Um, And as I came to the end, I had my future all sorted out. I was going to do a PhD and continue in an academic career at a university. I'd applied for one or two other jobs as a backup, including one in Australia, more or less as a joke. But I didn't expect to need the backup. I'd spoken to a potential supervisor who seemed keen to take me on as a student, so I had the promise of a great start to my career and all was under control. But as it turned out, it wasn't. You see, what my plan to either hadn't bothered to mention, or maybe I wasn't listening, was that he would only take on students who got a distinction in the grad dip. Alas, when my results came out, I was just short of the mark. I didn't realize immediately this was a problem, but then heard more or less on the grapevine that he wouldn't take me on as a PhD student. It seemed my planned academic career was hanging by a thread. As it happened, my family had come to Cambridge to visit me and I spent the day out with them, knowing my plans were in tatters and not knowing what would happen next. What did happen was that we got back to my digs and I found a letter there. It was from CSIRO, here in Australia, offering me the job I'd applied for. It was with a group that had a worldwide reputation in statistics research and the pay and conditions they were offering made my jaw drop. And I'd be able to work for a PhD part-time. (sighs) Ah, major sigh of relief. And so here I am. If things had gone according to my plans, I wouldn't have come to Australia. I wouldn't have my wonderful wife Susan or our children and grandchildren. And I probably wouldn't be standing up here today. But here I am. God is the one in control. We just heard Joseph's words to his brothers in verse 20 of the reading. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Will you join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jack's sermons in recent weeks have looked at the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm going to follow up on that theme. I'll be looking at Genesis 50, but in order to look at the promises in their full context, I'll only be spending a relatively short time on the narrative itself. That's so I can spend time looking both backwards and forwards from this passage to see the big narrative, how it fits into the overall story of the Bible, from Abraham to Jesus, and in particular, how it relates to God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That means we'll be looking at a few other Bible passages as we go. When I told Susan what I was planning, she said, that sounds more like a lecture than a sermon. Well, if that's the case, I hope at least it's not the sort of lecture from which you wake refreshed. That reminds me of another lecture I had when I was doing my stats diploma. Our class decided he must be the worst lecturer in the world. He was a really nice man and an eminent researcher, but he had very little ability to convey his subject to those of us who were not eminent researchers. Ironically, his subject was communication theory. <laughs> in uh, Genesis 12, God had called Abraham, then called Abraham, to leave his home in Haran in eastern Turkey today and go to the land of Canaan. You've got a, this? Yeah, thanks. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So one of God's promises what is to make of Abraham a great nation. However, many times since then, this promise seemed to be hanging by a thread. In Genesis 17 to 20, we read, Abraham's wife Sarah hadn't had any children and she is 90 years old and abraham 99 definitely hanging by a thread yet god still keeps his promise and they have a son isaac sigh of relief but then in genesis 22 we read that god commands abraham to sacrifice isaac what will happen then god intervenes again sending a messenger to tell abraham to sacrifice a young goat instead ha ah, sigh of relief Isaac has twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau's the oldest by a few minutes, so stands to inherit, but God says Jacob is the chosen one. In fact, Jacob cheats Esau out of his inheritance by tricking their father, and so Esau decides to kill Jacob, another challenging situation for the promise. However, in time Esau relents, and it seems that all is well. Once again <sighs> By the time we get to the story of Joseph, things are looking more secure. Jacob has 12 sons, so there's a good chance one would maintain the family line. Not until chapter 49 we find out that Judah is the chosen one. And with that in mind, we can see another threat in the story of the deaths of Judah's sons in Genesis 38. Jack told us about that a couple of weeks ago. However, Judah does have another son, Perez, who will continue his line. Sigh of relief and not the last one. If you were here last week, you may remember that we looked at yet another threat, a widespread famine leaving Jacob's family without food. Again they're saved, this time by Joseph. Sigh of relief. Almost the last one. Things are looking more promising. Eventually Jacob's whole family, 70 by this stage, are brought to Egypt and settle in Goshen, the best of the land according to Genesis 47. 17 years later, Jacob dies at the age of 147, which brings us up to today's passage. If you have a Bible, perhaps open it to Genesis chapter 50. In verses 1 to 13, we read about Jacob's funeral. Now, this is 17 years after his arrival, so at least 10 years since the end of the seven years of famine when Joseph saved Egypt and many other nations. Joseph's father, Jacob, is given a royal funeral He's embalmed there are many days of mourning. It seems he was held in high regard by the Egyptians. However, in verse 4 we see, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, if I found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. It seems Joseph no longer has direct access to Pharaoh and no longer has the all-powerful leadership role he had during the famine. Are the Egyptians beginning to forget his work 10 years or so earlier? Hmm. Let's move on. In verse 14, we see the whole family leaving what we know to be the promised land and returning to Egypt. Then, in verses 15 to 18, we see a final threat to the line of Judah, to the promise of a great nation. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? By their lights. It wouldn't be too surprising if Joseph returned to them the wrong they'd done to him and made them slaves or even had them killed. Once again, the promise of a great nation seems to be hanging by a thread. But as we see in verses 19 to 21, Joseph once again saves the day. Verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what can be seen today, the saving of many nations. Sigh of relief. And from here, things start to look more promising. In the rest of the chapter, we learn that Joseph lives another 70 to 80 years and is blessed by seeing his family grow. It seems that he continued to walk with God. In verse 24, perhaps with another dream, he foretells the exodus from Egypt some hundreds of years in the future. Joseph is clearly the key figure in this story, but surprisingly not of the overall story of the Bible The story of the Bible runs from the fall through Abraham's call then to Jacob, Joseph's father, and the ancestor of all the tribes of Israel. Jacob's son Judah is the one whose descendant David is the chosen king, and David's descendant is Jesus. So while Joseph is the key character here, he's only a bit player in the storyline that will lead to Jesus. A bit player, yet essential in the fulfillment of the promise of a great nation. We see the fulfillment of that promise in the, in the next book of the Bible, Exodus, where the continuing story begins with the words in Exodus 1, 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. So the great nation was coming into being. That's one of the promises fulfilled. It did take a while and look pretty shaky at some points it's that way with promises sometimes we saw an example last week where Pharaoh's cupbearer promised to put in a good word for Joseph but promptly forgot all about it until two years had gone by is that a familiar story? parents promising things to their children which seem to the children at least to take forever husbands promising to fix things up around the house Susan can probably give you a list of the things that took me a while to get to and the ones she's still patiently waiting for Bosses promising promotion or advancement, but forgetting or delaying any action. Promises are important. I'm sure you have experiences to match those of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But finally, this promise of a great nation was to be fulfilled. But there were two other promises that followed on from this one. Back in Genesis 12 again, we read in verse 7... The Lord appeared to Abraham and said "To your offspring, I will give this land." So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abraham was in Canaan, so this land would mean to him would mean Canaan. God repeated the promise to Isaac and to jacob genesis twenty six four and twenty eight fourteen if you want to check. So what about that promise, the promise of a land it didn 't happen immediately. After Jacob's funeral, they didn't stay in Canaan, but returned to the comfortable land of Goshen. But that wasn't the promised land. On his deathbed, Joseph prophesied that they would return. In verse 24, we read that Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How will that come about? Well, maybe foreshadowed a bit by Joseph's waning status, we read in Exodus 1, eight. now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And from there we have the story of Moses and the Exodus, the conquest of Canaan under, under Joshua. So the second promise, the promise of the land was also fulfilled. And then there's the third promise. In Genesis 12.3 we read, I will bless you, those who bless you, And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In fact, in Genesis 26, the equivalent promise to Isaac is that all nations will be blessed. So with a great nation established in a land of their own, Israel could set about being a blessing to all nations. Is that how things turned out? Well, things are looking pretty hopeful at this point. The nation and the land are coming, and Joseph, in obedience to God's guidance, has already been a blessing, to many nations. So it's looking good for all three promises. But it didn't come about. You see, Israel, like Pharaoh, forgot about Joseph. I don't have time to go through all the details of the chaos we find in the book of Judges or the kingdom being divided after Jeroboam's rebellion or the mixed fortunes of the kings which ended in exile from the land to Assyria and Babylon. Israel gave little sign of being a blessing to all nations. It seems that's maybe a bit like my communication theory lecture. They knew the message Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had received from God, but were not strong on passing on what they knew. And yet, despite all this mess, the line of David continued for a thousand years after him. It continued as far as Mary and Joseph, the mother and stepfather of Jesus. Well before that, In around 700 BC, the prophet Isaiah had criticized the divided nations of Israel and Judah, prophesying the coming of a different sort of king, a suffering servant. And we see on the slide, (laughs) Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But also he would be a king who would have all the nations as his inheritance. According to Psalm 2, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Isaiah spells out the intended result in Isaiah 60, verse 3. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Israel should be a light, calling all nations to the glory of the Lord. Let's take a look at those promises again. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were promised a land. In Hebrew, an aretz. And as we've seen, this was fulfilled literally in the years to come. But that word for land, eretz, can have a much wider meaning. It can also mean the world. Right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis one one, we read, "God created the heavens and the earth." The eretz, the same word. So while Jacob, Isaac, and uh, sorry Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob justifiably understood God to be speaking about the land of Canaan. Isaiah is saying that the land of the coming king will not be a limited geographical area, but all the world. And what about the blessing? Isaiah's prophecy and the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would reach their fulfillment in the birth of Jesus, who makes one church of all the nations, one land of all the earth, and brings blessing of salvation to all people. Isaiah speaks of the nations coming to the light. Jesus takes this and identifies it with his followers, in matthew five fourteen to sixteen part of what 's called the Sermon on the Mount, he says, "You are the light of the world. a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither the people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we have this story, the big picture, these promises stretching from Abraham through Jacob, with help from Joseph, to Jesus and to us. What can we learn from this big picture, God's grand design? One thing is clear, it's messy, like our own stories, but this is how the world is. Maybe God could have made things more straightforward, but he didn't. He made, or perhaps allowed, our world to be messy. We do have to muddle through our messy world, like Joseph. We have to rely on God. Joseph didn't claim that his achievements were his own work, but gave the glory to God. The great nation was not the work of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, or even Joseph's doing. All of us here in Unley today are wealthy by the standards of most of the world, and we may be tempted to take the credit. Joseph's story reminds us that it really is not our doing. I certainly cl- claim it as my cleverness that brought me to Australia, quite the opposite in fact. And I can say the same today. i put some work into this sermon, but if you found it challenging or encouraging, that's God at work. We live in a messy world, perhaps a scary world, of COVID, religious fanatics, earthquakes, and nuclear submarines. Remember, Joseph made the key point as he reassured his brothers, you meant to harm me, but God meant it for good. When we see the evil in the world caused or made worse by evil men, we can be sure that their evil aims will ultimately fail. Look at Acts 27 to 29. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Carl preached on this a few weeks ago. It may seem that the powers and authorities are in command, but God's hand is active and his plan is predestined. Our world is messy, but God is in control. More than that, he's not aloof in some distant control room. He has shared in our mess. He suffered the consequences of our messy world when, as Jesus, he became a man and was executed for crimes he did not commit. Our God is a God who understands us and stands with us in our world. The Egyptians and the Israelites forgot what Joseph had done for them. May we never forget what Jesus has done for us. May we never forget that God is in control and knows the end from before the beginning. May we always let our light shine so that the world may give glory to the Father in heaven. Let's pray to our Father God. Thank you, Lord, for your Bible story of salvation, stretching from creation to the stories of Abraham and Isaac, of Jacob and Joseph, of David and Solomon, of Jesus and his incarnation to us and our salvation in him. May we be confident that your hand and your plan will endure. May we look upon threats and crises with trust in you. May we let our light shine before the world. May we continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand of healing on the world in the power of Jesus, your holy servant and your son. Amen.